Scientists and medical experts hold grand ambitions for the emerging role of human embryonic stem cells in medicine. One of the first gains realized from these cells could be the production of red blood cells for transfusion. But several key obstacles remain. What are these challenges and how long will it be before the future of erythrocyte production is now? You are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Future Medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. And our guest is Dr. Eric Buashira, Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine and Director of the Einstein Center for Human Embryonic Stem Cell Research at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Burashira. Thank you for uh, inviting me to your show. What are the most important reasons, sir, to pursue stem cell-based production of mature erythrocytes? Well, there are a few reasons. One reason is to produce red cells for rare blood groups that are sometimes very difficult to procure, in particular for people who have been transfused multiple times or who have had accident in transfusion and that are now reactive to very rare antigens that make them difficult to transfuse. Also, people with genetic disease, such as sickle cell disease, that are transfused very often can become very difficult to transfuse because because they become reactive to minor antigens on the blood cells. Another reason is right now the blood is very safe. The blood supply, we all believe, is very safe because it's screened appropriately and all the potential pathogens are eliminated. But there is always a risk that some new pathogen would emerge that would be undetected, at least for an initial period of time in the population. And then again, the blood supply could become contaminated with a new pathogen and that would be a major issue. So if we could make all the cells in a factory, all of these problems would theoretically not exist. There could be much more rigorous quality controls. Now, do you focus primarily on human embryonic stem cells or induced pluripotent cells or both? Well, we are doing both. I mean, for the purpose of making red blood cells, actually, you can really use either these IPS or these ES cells. It's more or less the same thing. The IPS are actually, there are advantages with the IPS is that they do not require obtaining embryos. You can make them from fibroblasts. In fact, these days we're making them from single hair. Actually, it's quite amazing. They can come from fibroblasts? Well, what an IPS is, basically, is this induced pluripotent. This is a new technology that was developed three years ago now in Japan, and it's really unbelievable. What you can do is take a fibroblast or take, uh, in fact, right now, a single hair. You can take a single hair from a person and put it in culture and grow fibroblasts or keratinocytes that are in the hair that are towards the roots, and you can infect these cells with a few viruses that code for genes that are normally expressed only in embryonic stem cells, and you can reprogram the fibroblast into um, uh, cells that are called uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, and that are in fact very, very similar to embryonic stem cells. So the point of this manipulation is that you don't have anymore to destroy an embryo to produce embryonic stem cells. So right now, the technique is so new, in fact, that there are each 
some technical issues that they are not identical to embryonic um, stem cells. In particular, they do have the virus that you just that you use to produce them that don't exist normally, and the reprogramming that occurs during this procedure might not be perfect. But to make red blood cells, in fact, they are a very good source of cells. As physicians, I don't think we always remember how many cells are in a pint of blood that we transfuse. How do you plan to make those number of cells for large-scale production? That's a major issue is the cost. There is a challenges to actually scale up what we can do in the lab to an industrial scale. So that's a problem we haven't quite addressed at this point because before that, there is another issue, which is the cells we are making from embryonic stem cells are not identical to the adult cells. What do you mean by that, sir? During development, what happens is blood is not always made the same way. There is at least three kinds of red blood cells that are made. The first red blood cells that are made during gestation are made in a yolk sac, which is the membrane sac that envelops the embryo early during development. And the cells that you make at this point in your life are expressing an embryonic hemoglobin, are very big, in fact, three times as big as the adult erythrocytes, and they don't lose their nuclei. They are like in birds, for instance, in adults, they always have a nucleus, they never lose their nucleus. And first cells that you make during the development are like that. And then at around the sixth or seventh or eighth week of gestation, the fetal liver stems starts to form, and there is a, another wave of hematopoiesis, uh, of blood formation, that in fact uh, takes place in the, the fetal liver. And the cells that you're making in the fetal liver are again different from the cells that you uh, find in an adult. They express a different kind of hemoglobin called fetal hemoglobin, and they are bigger than the cells you find in adults, and they differ by hundreds of genes, in fact, if you compare them in details. And only around birth, you start making these erythrocytes that are transfused all the time. Well, the cells that you are going to produce, will they be these nucleated cells or the enucleated cells? That is the challenge. So when you start with these embryonic cells, embryonic stem cells that we know can make any cells in the body, they can make either these embryonic cells, these fetal cells, and these adult cells. So we cannot do this experiment in humans. When we take the stem cells into mouse cells, we can take these embryonic stem cells and inject them inside a blastocyst, a very early embryo, and they will contribute to every tissue of a mouse. So that's why we know that these cells are stem cells and they can become any other cells because you can take them, put them back into an embryo, and they will recreate an entire mouse, in fact. But when you do it in vitro, what we are trying to do, in a way, is to reproduce this development there. We know that the stem cells we have in the dish, that they can make embryonic, fetal, or adult. And then what we have to do is to force them to do that in a dish. So where we are so far is that we can make these nucleated red blood cells fairly easily, in fact. We can also make the cells that are normally found in the fetal liver that you find during, let's say, the second month of gestation all the way to birth. Right now, we are working on techniques to actually make cells that would actually be the same as the one you find in adult. 
If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Eric Dubuashir, Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine and Director of the Einstein Center for Human Embryonic Stem Cell Research at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. We're discussing stem cell-based production of erythrocytes. Doctor, how do you deal with the matching of blood types when you make these cells? What we have done is that we have made some of these induced pluripotent stem cells from people that are O negative. So that we will have cells that actually could be used for a lot of transfusions. Or if we would want to make cells that would be any blood group, we could just start from stem cells from people with the different blood groups. Now, I understand that the military is very interested in this. Could you really make cells quickly enough to meet the needs on a battlefield? Well, what the military is hoping for it would be a machine that could be transported, not really on the front line, but uh, you know, not far, you know, somewhere in the rear guard there. And that the machine could produce red cells sort of locally, but not, you know, to, to make the red cells gonna, going to take a month. The process of going from embryonic stem cells to a red blood cell, or even if you would freeze the cell halfway, let's say, so you don't have to do the whole thing in the machine, but you would have some sort of frozen progenitor, and that process would take probably weeks. So that's not something I don't think you could ever generate red blood cells on the spot, but, you know, you could have sort of a machine much closer to the battlefield and having to fly blood all the time. Let's talk about the practical aspect of this. Now, when someone donates blood, they may do that entirely for free, and the entire process is reasonable in cost. How much would it be, let's say, to produce a pint of blood using this type of research? A unit of blood, I think right now, the blood is given for free. You know, there's a lot of processing and testing that has to take place before it can be used. So that the cost of a unit of blood, I think, is about $200 or something. So that's sort of the price range right now. And right now, we are very, very far away from, from this. We don't even know how to make a whole unit of blood. But, you know, if we could get reasonably close to that cost and, for instance, have cells that are for... Uh, Initially, at least for people that are really difficult to transfuse, make very rare blood groups because you know, that would actually be pro economically doable. I mean, the short term, I mean, it's, I, I do not think that we'll be able to compete. Are you optimistic that in the future that you will be able to compete, that you will be able to solve these problems? Yeah, I do not think that the cost, to some degree, a lot of the cost of the involves are tied up to intellectual properties. The actual cost of the reagents that are required isn't that expensive. This research that you're doing, does it help you better understand erythropoiesis and diseases of the blood? That's a very important aspect of our work. We are learning a lot actually about early erythropoiesis. Before we did some of our work, in fact, we did not completely understand what kind of hemoglobin were produced throughout development. Embryonic stem cells give us like a unique view into this because you can follow the very first step of blood formation, which is very difficult to do in humans without kind of cells. Also, we are using these cells, for instance, the cells we produce 
in vitro, either from embryonic stem cell or from other stem cells, to test drugs, and test drugs, for instance, to treat people with sickle cell disease or to try to understand the molecular mechanism of a variety of blood cell disorders. Doctor, when we think about stem cell research, we certainly think about other things than producing red cells. What made you get into this particular area involving red cells? Well, I've been trying to find a cure for sickle cell disease for a very long time. So that was our initial idea, in fact, was to use that type of system to test drugs and understand and viruses that could be used to cure sickle cell disease and have a model system to study that. And then we realized that red blood cells are, in fact, very, very good. One of the easiest things, actually, one could do with embryonic stem cells that would have practical application because the red blood cells do not have a nucleus, so that anything you would produce from uh, in vitro from uh, stem cell is that you know, they might cause cancer. You, know, you might have done something to the cell inadvertently that would have made them become a potential source of cancer. Red blood cells don't have a nucleus. And you can, in fact, irradiate them, which is a process used currently now, is to irradiate cells to eliminate the few uh, white cells that might cause a problem. Not having a nucleus is a pretty good guarantee that the cells could never give cancer. That's a very good point. Now, can we ensure that these stem cell-based red cells are free of disease? The question is, can we make sure they are safer than the existing cells? you know, that the existing blood supply. And there could be problems in the production, there could be all sorts of issues, but the standard should be whether they are safer than the existing uh, alternatives. I believe that that's going to be the case, but it will have to be tested. Do you think there will be a time when blood donations are no longer needed? Yeah, I think in the long term that that might happen. I do not think that the research we are doing, you know, there are other things. We are trying to do it from embryonic stem cells. You could also use alternative strategies, start with adult stem cells. There, there is many other ways. You know, there is a, a, a number of groups in, in the world, in fact, doing similar research using alternate strategies or the same, in fact. And I believe that someone, some group or some companies will eventually develop cells in vitro that will be competitive with the, you know, the donor-based system. And finally, doctor, where do you think you'll be in your research five, ten years from now? Well, I'm hoping that we have a lot of effort actually right now in trying to make these adult cells. We still have this issue that we are making cells that are not exactly the same as the one we want to make. They, they have this fetal phenotype. And we are hopeful that within the next three, four years, we will have solved that problem, and then we will be left with the engineering issues of just making a lot of cells and uh, you know, the cost issues. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Eric Puashira. We've been discussing stem cell-based production of erythrocytes. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening.